0: Welcome to this very special in conversation episode of Shameless. Today we are joined by YouTuber turned entrepreneur Grace Beverly. For the unacquainted, Grace is a force to be reckoned with. She blew up on socials when she was studying at Oxford and decided to document her life with vlogs on YouTube. From there, she channeled her incredibly engaged audience into not one, but two business ventures, a sustainable activewear brand called Tala and a fitness company called Shreddy. In this chat, Grace talks about finding insane levels of success at such a young age, the blessing and curse that comes with social media fame, and shares something she's actually never talked about before. Her ADHD diagnosis. So without further ado, here's Grace.
1: Grace Beverly, welcome to Shameless. Thank you. I feel like this has been a semi-long time coming. I completely agree. I mean, I am I will just go out there and say that I am the biggest shameless fangirl. <laughs> I am, I mean, I listened to Tiger Woods yesterday. A good I mean, I know I'm on it.
2: I know it's <laughs> a arrogant. great episode. I know it's arrogant a personal
1: favorite. It was such a good series. It was really good. I just th- feel like I'm such a documentary person, mm. and I want documentaries on subjects that I mean, obviously the Tiger Woods one has like there's a documentary, but I like things on the whole like talking about you know just stuff that it's like. I don't know, like, it wouldn't necessarily be commissioned for a documentary yeah. like when we're doing, like, Tana Mojo, I'm, like, yeah. fucking get me right there. <laughs> me in my university days, like, watching back to back on YouTube, like, what is the drama? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm completely obsessed.
2: I love that as a YouTuber, you love the YouTube
1: yeah, dramas. But- I feel like it's one of those ones where that was the era that I watched YouTube. Like, I watch it sometimes, but, like, that yeah. that was, like, you know, when it's, like, your, that's your evening TV. Yeah. So in that era, like, the James Charles era, like, the oh. Tana Mojo, like, all of that. My childhood. I, yeah. Or well, my teenage years, rather. Yeah,
2: sure. I <laughs> felt child. like a child, but it really wasn't childhood. I was probably, like, 21, obsessed with the James yeah, me, Charles, Charles era. I was, I was, yeah, Talk me through getting into YouTube. Talk me through your childhood. Were you the kind
1: of kid to, like document everything? I don't think... Like, it's so funny because I... I mean, I definitely was seen as, like, the non-creative one in my mm-hmm. family. Like, it was just very, like, she's, like, not the arty one. Like, I don't know, what the fuck's that? That's on the page. <laughs> what, like, like you were the <laughs> Yeah, literally, like, they're like, oh, don't give that girl a crayon. <laughs> um, but I was... I don't think it was so much that I was, like, creative or artsy in any way. I really, really fell into it. Like, I can't state enough when I started YouTube, I didn't even watch YouTube. Mm. So I only started YouTube because I was posting on Instagram from like a year before and it was like a secret account. It didn't have my name on it. I didn't post my face until I had like 10,000 followers, I think it was. It was like, purely a diary. It was not polished Mm. at all. There's never been a stage in my Instagram career where anyone has ever considered me aesthetic. (laughs) I would love to be an aesthetic girly. But I actually only then got into YouTube because you couldn't post more than 15 second videos on Instagram. That's Mm. literally the only reason. So then I didn't really understand YouTube. And at the time I was posting fitness content. So and by fitness content, this was not from a position of authority at this point. This was from a position of I don't know what's going on. So I'm hoping someone else might also not know what's going on with me. I tried to get into the gym so many times, like just very classic. From my point of view, it was very classic, like insecure teenage girl. Like I used to be really sporty, did competitive sports, kind of fell out of it and just fell into diet culture, mm. just pretty enthusiastically, like as a lot so of many people of us did. did. Yeah, yeah, just like i you know never had any. I didn't have like an eating disorder or anything, but you know, tried like every single thing, yeah, under the probably sun. like not an eating disorder, but too fanatical about it for a hundred percent just like very, balanced. very considered, very meticulous about what meticulous you're doing. about yeah. but always different things. It was never like meticulous <laughs> about like being generally like ordered. That's not me at all. Yeah. I feel like I maybe give too much of a kind of put together persona online <laughs> in terms of the way that like I'm very. Chaotic. Yeah. So I had started posting fitness content, was posting videos of when I was working out. So, you know, would put up a video of a leg day I'd done or whatever it might be. And you could only do 15 seconds. So I went onto YouTube not to post anything else, but to post longer versions of what I was already posting. Yeah. And I didn't really understand it. So I'd literally like pick up the camera and be like, hi, guys, (laughs) I'm going to the gym. And then you'd see my feet like walking to the gym, and then I'd be like, "Hi guys, I'm at the gym." And then I would <laughs> show the workout with like music overlay, and then it'd be like, "Thanks guys, bye." That would be it. <laughs> so I don't
2: know how I we got here. I missed those days on YouTube. <laughs> like, so amateur, yeah.
1: yeah, but in like a really relatable way where everyone just loved watching. That I just kind don't know why anyone would watch it. Like they were, they were. To be fair, they were only like four minutes long. So when people started watching. I mean, I don't think those took off, I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah. I don't what think was that, that was... took off.
2: What was it that <laughs> kind it of.
1: It wasn't that. Can
2: you take me to a day, take me to a day or a moment where you're like, wow, this is becoming a thing. Like, people are starting to want to watch me mm. and
1: comment and engage and actually want more content from my life. I would probably say that actually the content that really started taking off rather than fitness content mm. was very much the university content. And I feel like. What I can probably attribute to most of the success I had on YouTube was the fact that for three years after the point that I started taking off, I did the exact same thing. It was very much I was then sat in a, the a, the same room, like, a room smaller than this, mm-hmm. writing essays every day for, like, three years. I would definitely say, like, the Oxford thing would have a huge pull to people online. Like, I knew, like, if you look back at my thumbnails then and my titles, like, I milked the fuck out of the fact that I was like... Well, I was going to say, I think people are fascinated about you
2: going to Oxford because people would put you into a box, right? Mm, I feel right. like people might have seen you on social media and you're beautiful, And they would have gone, okay, fitness influencer. And then to also have this side of you that's incredibly intelligent Mm. and switched on (laughs) and motivated, I think that provides like an extra layer so people can actually give you... I mean, people should have given you legitimacy already, but I think
1: right. But I think I definitely internalized that and milked that kind of in a pick me, probably sort of way. You know what? Really, it's kind you of, look back and you yeah, a hundred percent because it was like it was definitely me being like, oh, I'm not like the other ones. Like, as in, yeah. I, it was all over my. It's interesting because I. It's one of those things, you know, when you want to look nicer in a certain way, but you notice the fact that that's because of the male gaze or whatever mm. it might be, but that doesn't stop your desire to do so. Nor should it, like. You sh- You have a right to do. Do so. what you want. Right. Yeah. But I definitely look back and I'm kind of like, there were undertones there of me essentially being like, yeah, I'm, I'm playing doing the fitness game. and like yeah. all of this. But also I'm, you know, all of these things that I'm like no one else can, cl- whatever. Like it was definitely a very kind of like pick me sort of thing. But I still yeah. do it, you know, like when you're looking at that and analyzing like how and why you were. Like something, I think it's really interesting because now, as someone who fights to be taken seriously, despite the fact that there are certain things that would kind of speak for themselves, Mm. I still find myself doing that. Like you still find yourself being like, "Oh, but no, like, you know, I went to Oxford, yeah." So, like, you know, like I want you to take me seriously, like even if I'm any of these things. And it's so interesting because it's like obviously we shouldn't have to... Play that game. Yeah, or, like, Mm. contextualise by saying that in order to be taken seriously. Mm. But it's such a classic, like... Woman who might not be wearing a pantsuit and might take themselves like seriously, yeah, type of thing. But it's one of those things I analyze that I'm like, I do this and I still do this, and I
2: like- know that I, I know the reasons why I'm doing it, but I'm still doing it anyway. It's right. kind of like every time I buy or I consider buying something that's high end or designer, right? I know that I'm actually doing it to signal something to the world, mm-hmm. but I'm equally enjoying it, even though I know that enjoyment is sourced from somewhere yeah. that's kind of screwed up a little bit. I also like, I think it's so interesting. We've been doing the podcast for over five years, and obviously I look back on things that I said or did in 2018 that I would never do now or say now or even think now. How do you feel about that, having this analogue or this archive, rather, of everything that you've thought and felt and lived through exist online and
1: someone be able to watch that today is if you said it today it's such an odd mind-bending experience a hundred percent and I think it is like I when I first came online and experienced like I will say it was probably two years until I actually took off um Mm. but I definitely to a certain extent experienced overnight success in you know in lots of ways of like certain things just like hitting the mark, and then, you know, whatever it might be. And I was, at that point, like, I have mixed views on whether you should give a 19, 20-year-old that much power, influence, eyes, like, all of those different things that I definitely thought I was mature enough to kind of be able to process. And I look at people online now, it's so funny, because I only... I think I I only downloaded TikTok last year for the first time, right? <laughs> and I remember going through it and I remember noticing how many of the people who like feeling really old and like looking at it, and I'm not old at yeah. all and like looking at it and kind of just being like, I hope those people are going to be okay. I know what types of feelings they're going to get like over the next few years. It's a really unique experience to be like thrown into the limelight at that age where you're also so naive and you don't know a lot of what you think, but you maybe think you do. And I think that's so interesting because a lot of the, you know, I was lucky to, I guess, be brought up in a situation that meant that I actually probably didn't have many contentious views and I'm Mm. pretty PR friendly in like a lot of ways, which is actually, but it's also actually quite a lucky position. because if Very you that's much. entirely based on like how you grow up and like the types of people you, you grow up in, around and like yeah. all of this and i think it's so interesting but i i also i look back at like that grace when i was like 19 20 suddenly being given these hundreds of thousands of people who were also like hi like tell us all these things mm. and me being like so sit down everyone yeah <laughs> let me tell you how this goes and all of that and i don't i mean i don't think i really came from a point of view of that but it's quite interesting when I look at it now and I look at those people who are having that similar experience now at that type of age and I'm just like you know it's a lot and it's a lot to give young people and it's a lot of power and influence to give young people and to I basically chose my career before I even knew what I was doing which is why since I've changed it but that was a lucky situation to even be in and I know lots of people who haven't managed to do that and that's really tough. Yeah I think it's
2: almost like the Dunning-Kruger effect right like that psychological principle that the less you know about the world, the more you actually think you know. And when your eyes are opened and you learn more, you actually realize how little you know and Mm -hmm. you go the opposite way. I remember as well when I was younger and trying to build the business alongside Zara and do all of this, I felt like I had to give up sides of myself, particularly in our book. I mean, I wrote about sexual assault in our book and I hadn't even spoke, I've spoken about this in another interview before, but I hadn't even told my parents about that story, Mm. but felt that To validate people buying my words and people investing in me or caring about me, I had to offer them up the most traumatic thing to ever happen to me. Right, And I think that's a mistake that I certainly made when I was younger. I would have been 23 or 24 Mm. when I made that decision. I would never make that decision at 29 now. Mm. It's funny how to build that profile you feel like you have
1: to give up sides of yourself in the early days. Did you feel that? Yeah, definitely. And I actually look back on some of the occasions where like, you know, there would be occasions where maybe I was getting more hate or whatever Mm. it might be, and I would that would always be my response. It would be like, oh, but I've been through this, and I've been through this. And it was kind of Mm. like this thing we have about women as well. It's purely based on the fact that unless women are vulnerable, we don't find them to be likeable. If women are too, I guess, sure of themselves, which I definitely was at that age before I even... You know, probably even had a right (laughs) to it. But when women are sure of themselves or sure of their success or any of these things, we have, like, there have been countless studies done on the fact that the more successful women are, unless they are outwardly self-deprecating vulnerable and kind of like violently humble yeah. <laughs> we, they are not likable to men or women like that's just a p- perception a natural perception that we have with, with women and I find myself doing it I'm sure most people find themselves doing it you know hearing no. of a woman's success and being like oh yeah but I found she's really hard to work Let with me or like my success right. in terrible things that have happened to exactly. me so that people find it palatable in all, yeah in order that it's palatable in order that other people would be like you're right. I wouldn't actually want that. Mm. And actually, that's so problematic. And I think that I definitely gave a lot of caveats to my success in order to be able to be like, but don't worry, you wouldn't actually want this because these yeah, are all it's the things. Terrible. That and it's also like, <laughs> it's so fine to just be like, you're so right. I'm in a great situation. I'm incredibly lucky. And I thank all the people who've like helped me get here. Yeah full stop. Like, I don't need to be like, and I went through this and I went through this and I went through this. It's every bad thing. It's so interesting. Yeah, it's it's so interesting when you really look at it and you look at how much you know about successful women's lives that help to contextualize their success and look at the equivalent men and how much you know about their lives. Like I know about every single successful female entrepreneurs, childhood schooling, um, every area of their privilege, which I think is very important. I do not know the same about we don't majority ask of it as male I completely agree I want to talk to you about
2: your businesses and about going to Oxford but I'm finding so much of what you're saying right now really interesting so I want to stay here for a little bit I had a coffee with a mentor with Zara this was a couple of months ago and she's incredibly successful and incredibly inspirational in so many ways and incredibly just like motivating to be around and she was saying that she finds the vulnerability conversation frustrating that women are continually turning to her and saying what's your most vulnerable moment or when have you been vulnerable recently because it's like sometimes to get through the job and to do what needs being done done you have to actually kind of put on armor mm. and to constantly expect people to be vulnerable all the time mm. women to be vulnerable all the time is not helpful and i actually find in myself the less vulnerable i am in my job the better i am mm. At it. Like, I, I need to actually shut off that side of myself and not be vulnerable all the time so I can be pragmatic and mm, do things. Do right. you feel that?
1: Yeah, I absolutely feel that. And I also feel like that's changed hugely throughout the different stages that I've had with my companies. So, at the points that it was for people, I absolutely needed to be vulnerable and I needed to be open and I needed to be really clear about every single change that was happening. And it was a kind of like full company information. Mm. The companies have changed a lot since then and the different times have ordered me to be different ways. When we were having a really, really tough time at one point, something that I will one day go into detail about, I had to ring fence and had to be actively not vulnerable. Yeah. Because it is this is slightly different from what we were talking about in order to need women to be vulnerable, in order to like them or to need to like validate their success. But I also feel like as an employer you are the one who has taken on the duty of protecting team members and employees Mm. and people's mortgages and families Mm. and salaries and all of these different things. And actually if we're asking women to be vulnerable and at the same time asking leaders to be strong, I believe the vulnerability is strong, but to be strong and ring fence and to take the hit yourself in order that other people feel safe in their jobs and actually maybe don't always know that, you know, next week's going to be tricky because our cash flow goes really low because of like these payment terms or whatever. You're the one who took on that risk and you need to be able to do that. If we're asking for leaders to be able to do that whilst also saying that women must be vulnerable in order to be liked and to lead well, then we are asking for two mutually exclusive things. I wouldn't
2: be able to do it. It's like you have to swallow that vulnerability and maybe show
1: it at home or show it in private spaces, but... I wouldn't be able to do it. Right, which has been a huge, huge learning curve for me because I always had the ethos of I need to show as much as possible. I need to be as vulnerable Mm. as possible. And actually, especially kind of like showing things online and then suddenly I'm running a completely different type of company and those two things are quite at odds with each other. I can't be completely vulnerable. I can't be completely transparent. I can't be any of these things. Not because someone's just told me I can't, but actually because it's the right thing for the team and for the company and all of these things if we're asking women to be constantly transparent and vulnerable in order to qualify their success and also asking the opposite of that it's like well, then we're asking women not to be leaders. And I'm not Mm. saying that vulnerability cannot lead. I completely disagree with that. I Mm. believe wholeheartedly in the kind of Brene Brown-like school of vulnerability is strength and all of this. But there are times and places. It's such like a complex thing. Mm. And one of those things that I've really had to learn to navigate over the past few years as my companies have changed hugely and as my position and as my role has changed so much, in order to put that first in an environment where I'm still sharing a lot online and knowing what's right what's wrong where I just need to step away or whatever it might be and it's been really interesting and difficult in some ways to like walk that line because I believe a lot of the time they are completely at odds with each other like we deliberately make it difficult for women to be the type of leaders that we say we respect mm. because we demand so much else from them yeah and that's really hard for all women yeah. in all yeah. walks of life and I think it's really interesting because I think we all have those opinions kind of ingrained and are pretty hard to undo as well
2: I want to talk to you about the journey you went on from
1: university to where you are
2: now. How many employees do you have currently? So
1: at Tala, there's about 35, I believe. Wow. So that's Tala. Shreddy's a slightly different setup. So it's fewer people. Um, and it's a really, it's a tech company. So it's a very different setup um, to how Tala is, which is a D2C clothing company. So it's very cyclical, very different business in the way it's run. Um, so much fewer people. It's about a third of the size. Mm. Yeah. So, so I think and then I have a personal team as well um, who help with the help with run <laughs> the podcast. Any personal brand stuff and all of that, I'm currently building that out at the moment because I think there are some exciting opportunities and I feel a bit settled in, more settled in other things. So yeah, probably about 50 people total across the thing. 50 Um, people and this is an empire that you built while you were doing an Oxford
2: University degree. So tell me, who does that? Like who takes (laughs) on that amount of stuff and succeeds at it? as well. What is in there? Like what ingredients are inside of you that mean that you take on an Oxford University degree and you build two incredible businesses and end up with 50 employees
1: or 50 team members seven years later? I think there's a few different ingredients in here. I think that I, it is in my nature to be incredibly self-deprecating, it's my humour, it's my, like, I operate by it day to day, and I find, yeah. you know, I find myself doing it constantly. It's important to say that I'm a very, very tenacious person, and I'm very competitive with myself, not with other people, and I believe that is a very strong trait when it comes to creating a life for yourself that mm. you want. It requires no incentivization, and I am the type of person to throw so much shit at the wall and see what sticks and then replicate that. And I think it's really easy to look at what it looks like now, what, four years out of university and kind of the whole journey. If you look at how many things along the way didn't necessarily make it or were just plain ugly, there's quite a lot. Mm-hmm. So I would say all of it is the sum total of trying a lot, being very enthusiastic, being very incentivized through sheer need to be occupied all the time. Like, I've really tried to unlearn that, but I've also... It's hard to unlearn something that you get rewarded so heavily for. But I am happiest when at full pelt. And therefore, if I... And this is genuinely an issue I have. If I have a quiet week, someone genuinely needs to tie my arms behind my back because I will start something new. Do you feel... Or really restless when you don't have something on your plate. Yes, I yeah. am an incredibly restless person. I think that's really important to say as well because I think, again, probably almost definitely, like contextualizing with the aim of kind of being like, oh, don't worry, it's kind of because of this that's horrible. But I will say I am very, very, very restless, and I do find it very hard. It's like one of those interview answers when you're like, my worst thing is that I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> um, my weakness I, is that I work too much. My weakness is that I, but I, I genuinely find it very, very hard to enjoy a slower pace in anything, not just work. It's Is that an anxiety thing? Because I, I see similarities between
2: us there yeah. in that my worst day is a Sunday where I have nothing planned. That's my partner's dream day where we right. can sit on the couch and just watch TV and like chill. He loves that. I find that stressful somehow and I need things to do and places to be just to feel happy. I actually don't feel happy if I have a
1: whole stretch of time with nothing to do, unless I'm on holiday, which I think is different. It's, I think it's an ADHD thing. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's it's something that I've dealt with for, like, a very long time. Like, from school, you know, I recognise I... I mean, very important, again, to say I went to a private school, came from a very privileged upbringing, and I was constantly doing things. Like, constantly, constantly. Like, I would be in stuff before school, I'd be in stuff after school, and then I'd do all of my homework after school, Mm. purely because I'm very, very restless as a person. And for what reason... We have no idea. I've had so many different kind of assumptions based on it through different levels. Like I remember at school, I would do so much, but I would constantly be told like, "You are a lunatic!" Mm. Like, please, like, not in terms of like you're doing too much, but as like a like concentrate, Mm. please, please, just like I like please, just (laughs) Just like as in I must have been an absolute nightmare. But yeah, there's been lots of different kind of you know I've had many people say many different things, which resultantly like in the end led to an ADHD diagnosis like way after lots of these things had been explored like everything from bipolar to like a lot of just because it's like when you go 100 miles per hour you're obviously going to crash so the result of all of those things and I it's just like a inherent restlessness Mm. that I've managed to wrangle by very specific methods which is why I speak so passionately about productivity productivity stuff because as someone who has thrown... Everything at the wall and really, really, really struggled mm. at different times. And like, we, are, it's also very important to say that like ADHD has many different faces and many different representations and manifestations in different people. For me, it is the restlessness thing and it's the 100 miles per hour and it's the inability to do one thing at once and the inability to break down any information. And therefore, that's why I speak so passionately about the methods that I use because they are the only way like I will genuinely get so overwhelmed and explode if I see a you know I talk about like seeing like a full to-do list like I categorize my to-do like I will never ever ever just write a list purely because it will literally I will something (laughs) will happen and it will like not be good and that is the way I tackle things and that is why I'm so vocal about it when did you get that diagnosis and how did it feel when someone told you that you do have ADHD Important to say
2: as well, I've never spoken about this Yeah, online. I was about to say, I was yeah. going to say, Um, sitting here, I've been researching you for hours. <laughs> like, oh, and no. I was going to ask you, I was like, is this the first time you've spoken is about this? It? And I'm like, all of my research have a glaring <laughs> hole in it. Yeah, I was about to say, i would never heard
1: you. When did you get this diagnosis and how do you feel? So I got a preliminary diagnosis about two years ago. Yeah, wow. Um, And then... I so we have the NHS here, which is absolutely amazing. Mm. One thing it does mean is very long wait times. I was going to say, yeah, that um, we, we've heard about that in Australia, a long yeah, wait times. Yeah, so like very long wait times. So then the from the preliminary diagnosis, it was two years. Yeah. So it was within this past year. Did you feel relief? Did you feel mm. sadness? Did you feel clarity? As with anything, it's really important to have something that I guess is explainable,
2: Yeah,
1: I think what's so interesting is two things. The techniques I speak about for productivity stuff have always been most popular with the ADHD community and I've prefaced so many videos. It's so funny because people have been telling me online after watching my YouTube videos. Well, this you- is the
2: thing. These are the videos I watched and in the video I watched yesterday, I think it's your second most viewed video of all time, you were saying, and I want to be clear, that if you have ADHD, this mm. might be different for you or I want to be really yeah. conscious of that community. Which is still
1: true whether... Because everyone's seen Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, but I've just not been you didn't like, realize ready that you to talk hard, about it. Yeah. Well, at that point I did. But oh. like as in I haven't been ready to but again, like as in mine obviously manifests in a very different way. And that's why yeah. also I said for ages, like when I was talking to the people who were working on it, like with me in terms mm. of like the diagnosis, I was like, there is no way. Because to me, in my head, what I'd heard about ADHD was specifically about finding things hard to get done mm. and finding procrastinating for hours and all of these things purely based on the I've done a lot of research into it now, but it's like the differences in synapses and like the dopamine hit you get from actually getting things done. Like Mm. there's either a lack of release or there's like the you know less sensitivity to it or whatever it might be. I said over and over and over again. I was like, "That's not me. Mm. Like I have no inability to get things done. Yeah, yeah. I have an inability to do anything other than be." extremely restless. I act as if I can, like, teleport. So I cannot have a spare five minutes when I do something. Like, I will then fill it with something else and then I will, you know, like, as in, like, it's just, like, a knock-on effect of all of those things. So I fought it at the beginning and I actually was like, can we go back to the drawing board? Because I feel like this is not thing. And then we're like, we've done literally all the assessments and, like, yeah. this is, like, really quite clear. It's just that, obviously, it's different for everyone. So I stand by that statement. It hasn't been something that I've, like, wanted to talk about because I also don't want anyone to... First of all, there's nothing more annoying than someone talking about productivity online. Second of all, there's the only thing more annoying than someone talking about productivity online is them being like, well, I have ADHD, so if you do, you should be able to do it too, which is absolutely not how I want any of my stuff to come across. So that's why I've never, ever, ever spoken about it, especially because a lot of the stuff I do is about productivity. The interesting thing, as I've said, is that it's always been most popular with people who have been like, I've never been able to use a planner before or never been able to, you know, order my time in this way. And this, I'm not saying, like, is a miracle cure, but, like, has been able to break it down for me and made it a lot more palatable. And that's obviously what I always did my university work in this very specific way because mm. i would literally i would have these like overwhelm like anxiety kind of Responses. like breakdowns because mm. i was like i can't do this and then i'd reorder the information even now when i get a piece of work that's ordered in a way that i like i literally cannot compute it i will break it down into a table usually or bullet points i talked about this online once <laughs> and i was like it's so funny cuz the amount of things i mean looking back originally from the point over to years ago when I post things online, and I'd be like, this is my problem framework. So when I have a problem, I write in this table, like, what is the problem? What are the potential solutions <laughs> for the problem? What are, Like, as in, why is this problem annoying me? What are the potential solutions? And what is the, like, end thing? And then people have been like, wow, this is amazing. This is actually what I teach my people. Oh. the people I work with, with ADHD. And I'm like, wow, I'm a psychologist. No, 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 I'm not. I am the patient. <laughs> You're in the other um, chair. Yeah, but it's so, it's so funny. And I've had people... Not only, obviously, did I have people at, like teachers at school say it the whole time, but I always had people comment on my videos because you can probably hear it the way I speak. Like I speak in a very like textbook, like, <laughs> you know, like way that like lots. Of, and I've had people comment on, you know, interviews, videos, like all of this being like, that girl cannot stay on one topic at one time. <laughs> and it sounds like listening to like someone driving down the motorway for like at 100 miles per I hour. Think it's that. I think it's just it comes across that you your brain is firing that's right. what comes across when you're Thank
2: talking. You. <laughs> I think you're actually quite good at staying on topic. But oh, you, really? You can tell that your synapses are fucking,
1: they're fucking talking to each other. They're going. <laughs> but it's so funny because I've had like quite a few comments and I've had quite a few DMs separately as well. Like over the years, I used to get it when I posted more on YouTube. I obviously don't post much on there at all mm. um, anymore, but I used to get it all the time. Like people DMing being like, hey, I don't want this to come across the wrong way. Let me and, like, your obviously you like, But that's the thing is that it's obviously, and I don't know nearly enough to talk about it. But I actually kind of let it slip when I did this interview with there's an account called ADHD love on TikTok and they talk about you know the the woman in the relationship has quite bad ADHD and she talks about like the different things and it's very different from my manifestation of it but the way we were talking about it in the episode I was like well I see it as like this this and this and then I was like oh my god this is going to come across as horrible from anyone being like what does this girl know (laughs) um but it's so interesting like how different it is and that's also like I think it's so important to say over and over and over like it is clearly different for everyone. There's also two different types. There's like high school very highly in one and like pretty mid in the other. Mm. And it's answered a lot of things for me that I thought were lots of different things, but I also it also doesn't make sense to me in other ways. Were the people in
2: your life surprised? Like say your mum, your dad, I'm partner? Told.
1: I mean my partner knows. Mm. But no one else until I mean obviously it kind of like has come out in conversation today but and it's one of those things where it's like I'm not guarding it for any specific reason it's more it's taken me some time to consider and know whether it's even useful to talk about to people and I think part of that is probably I'm not in a position that I guess my it's probably like my perception
0: Mm. of it
1: as a thing and I yeah. It's good to sit with it. And sometimes. there's like this huge thing of like people over self diagnosing and like all of these different things. And I've so not wanted, like, it's been quite a sensitive topic for me mm. that I haven't wanted to put myself in a position where. You feel like could- you're contributing to that culture. Maybe. Yeah, contributing to that. Or I guess, I mean, I didn't self diagnose, but like I'm still processing. Absolutely. So it's one of those things where it hasn't necessarily been something that I've been ready to talk about or wanted to talk about or even found it helpful to other people to talk about. You know, I didn't talk about PCOS for, like, ever until, like, last year. And then I was like, oh, you know, like, and it just came out in conversation. It's less of one of those things that's like, oh, I'm specifically not saying this. Like, I'm sure if I was vlogging all the time for YouTube, I'm sure, like, I would have said. It's more just like, I'm not really an oversharer on social media anyway, not that I feel like that's a bad thing.
2: No, but I I feel like as well when you do get a diagnosis, I mean, I remember when I was diagnosed with generalised anxiety disorder, I was like, I don't want to become the anxiety girl. It was like when I spoke about sexual assault, I don't want to become the sexual assault girl. Mm. Or I got diagnosis of um, endometriosis recently, I don't want to become the endo girl. So it's like how can I talk about this without seeming like I'm the expert in it, but also sharing it in a way that makes people feel... I mean, first of all, sharing's nice just to get Mm. it off your chest and sometimes just be honest. Yeah. But also make people feel like, I'm sure, I'm positive, someone listening to this will have received an ADHD diagnosis recently and will have seen themselves in you Mm. and the way maybe yours manifests and find that helpful.
1: A hundred percent. And I feel like that's always, I've always considered that like an important part of my role as someone online with a platform. I think... What I've also learned is the importance of protecting myself and my own mental health above that. Yeah. Because I think that the that leads you down the road of, like, constant vulnerability again, which I'm just, like, not always ready for. And also that nothing harder than, like, having a shit week and then also it, like, piling on f- mm. through different directions. And I feel like this has been such a sensitive topic for me because actually all of the issues that even led me to the diagnosis two years ago in the first place... Just, like, really sensitive and, like, had had a real impact on my life. And the one thing that I didn't want to happen was for anyone then to, like... You know when you're sensitive about something and the last thing you want is for someone to invalidate that sensitivity? And I understand that I am in a position where that's really easy to do and I have no doubt that that will be done and that is fine. I am generally able to deal with things. But, you know, when something's, like... It's like like going through a breakup or something. Like the last thing you want to do is like have other people like pile on that in that time until you're you ready. Especially to if it, yeah, exactly. Especially if it's something that has been sensitive for you. Yeah, for so. sure. You've been in this career
2: now, where obviously people are watching on, and you have a colossal following of millions of people.
1: Are you at a place in your life where you genuinely don't care what people think, or do you still want people to like you? I generally think everyone wants people to like them and they're probably lying if they say they don't. If not, then, like, please let me know whatever you're taking (laughs) because I will take it. Um, I am much, much better. And I think that my... I talk in the last chapter of my book about the fact that I had, like, this really weird point where I realised I wanted to step away from social media because I've chosen a career that wasn't my dream career. Like, it was a hugely you know, hugely lucrative and hugely desirable and, like, all of these things, but that doesn't make it something that suits me as a personality type. And I talked about the fact that I'm a people pleaser and you can't be a people pleaser to that many people. And, like, you just, like, as in, it's a very fact of, like, being on social media that, like, context collapse. Like, you can't talk about, like... When you're, talk- when you're saying a story to your mum versus your sister or your friend, you're going to say it in very different ways. You can't say that on social media, so you're always going to upset certain people and get opinions back that you don't want to get and all of this. And I came to the very clear realisation that actually the day-to-day of social media as a job was not how I wanted to be spending my day-to-day. I think that what I talked about at that point was the fact that I suddenly blew up on social media at a very vulnerable point for... Lots of young women anyway, turning into an adult, going to university, all of these things. And I had, like, really bad self-esteem before that point. I remember one of my closest friends, who's still one of my closest friends now, I remember her just saying to me, like, you've got to get more confident. Like, you're confident in lots of ways, but, like, you have, you've got to, like, fix your self-esteem issue. Otherwise, like people are going to like you less for yourself like because like because it's like draining for she was like it's draining for me sometimes and all of that and i think that at that point i then grew on social media so i think i thought that i'd like automatically like fixed that issue and like self-worth and like all of those things but actually I'd very clearly replaced it with external validation because like of course you're going to think great about yourself if like hundreds of thousands of people are being like wow Mm, love your outfit love your your, like your videos my comfort videos or like whatever and you're like great I'm a great person Mm. and then when I decided that that was not the career I wanted to do and very quickly phased that out I wouldn't even say phased that out like I literally like just stopped one day yeah I very quickly realized I was like huh so that thing we thought we'd solved we actually (laughs) solved with like a big old like band and we now have a have lot issue. of work to do <laughs> um and so I think that like I've it was so easy at that point like instantly I was like I'm gonna get back on YouTube I'm gonna do this like mm. and then I was like no it's not that you enjoy the job it's that you enjoy the attention and the validation and the permission that all of this gives you to like just be exactly yourself. Like you have to find that within yourself. It's the same as you can't find that in a relationship. You have to form that with yourself. And I think I was the longer I was doing that, the longer I was giving myself permission to not find that within myself. And there were so many other reasons as well where I like decided that it wasn't the thing for me. But I then moved away from it and kind of had this issue. And so then spent the next few years And it's been about three years since Mm. I, not cold turkey social media, but like posted a lot less, didn't post on YouTube. There was a big change. Yeah, there was a huge change from what I was doing before. Didn't rely on social media for my income, like all of these different things. And like purposefully moved away from like doing things that I felt would give me like good engagement or good reach or like even trying to grow my pages, like any of that, just like complete, Mm. like it turns into the way someone would use a personal social media page. It is no longer that. And I've done a lot of work since then. And the biggest piece of that work has been building a life for myself that isn't based off external validation, not just from social media, but also from work, success, money, all of these different things. Mm. Now, that hasn't been cold turkey, because obviously I have been (laughs) doing work and earning money and, like, all of these different things. But I did take a huge income hit. I took a huge... Like, there was just, like, lots of things where I was just like, this is not right, I'm changing this, and had to kind of, I guess, build from the ground up. And I think as part of that, it's really easy to rely on being liked when your job is to be liked. And thankfully, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to lie and say I wouldn't have an income here if no one liked me. Mm. But actually, it doesn't rely on people liking me anymore. I've built these amazing, really tangible thing Mm. that can be scaled without me. And that took years and years and years. I did a post the other day, essentially being like three years ago, I set out on a mission to actually be like, sure, these businesses are impressive, but could they work without me? At the moment, no. At the moment, the marketing spend I'm giving them could not be replaced by actual marketing spend and therefore they are not scalable without me. Like, when do you leave that? Like, are you tied to that forever? Mm. Is your entire future tied to the fact that you need to be liked and you need all of these things? So since then, I have changed everything, restructured everything, put a huge amount of money into that in order to be able to, I mean, literally like invested all of my savings in order to be able to turn it all around and put it in a position where I was like, if I decided one day that me as a person disappears from social media, definitely meant to be I as a person, but sure, Um, then that would be fine. Mm. And that's helped my wanting to be liked thing a lot. And I know that's stupid as well, because that's also based on like career and all of these things. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that my wanting to be liked grew so massively the more I was liked. And therefore, I just had to, like, chop the legs off that and then be like, okay, how do we rebuild this in a way that's both maintainable and enjoyable for me. And And also, Yeah, like, I built this career that lots of people were like, wow, career, wow, career. And I was like, yeah, but it stops the second I can't get out of bed or, like, the second I go on maternity leave Mm. or the second people decide to stop liking me or, like, whatever it might be. And I was like, whoa. That sounds dangerous. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You've, you're someone who has achieved. So, so much. And one of those things that I have always looked up to is the fact that in 2022, you landed $8 million Australian worth of...
1: Yeah, I'll take it in the Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I was going to gonna say, it like, sounds minute.
2: even better in AUD. Yeah,
1: I'll, I'll start doing that now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you landed $8 million worth of investment for your brand, Tala. You have built a following, which I know we've just spoken to, isn't everything to you, but of millions of people. You have curated a life for yourself that is so impressive. But what is it?
1: What is the one thing that you're the most proud of? I think there's – it's so interesting because, like, I instantly, as soon as you say that, I want to give you something that I'm proud of that's not to do with work. And I have lots of things that I'm proud of Not that's not that's to a do very, with work. Because I think women are probably told yeah, it to like, say the thing that's like- – Well, I always, I always thought because I would, like, share relationships online – And then I'd be like, fuck, they're going (laughs) to know we've fucking broken up again. (laughs) Or like whatever it might be. And it's like, how can they see me as successful if I also like, you know, this like age old, like can't even hold down a man, like all of that Mm. stuff. And it's like, wait a second. Like, that's not something I even not care about but like as in that's not you know that's not actually what I'm holding like dear in this moment and that's mm. actually I'm a whatever like early 20s but like I don't want to hold <laughs> how dare this early 20s woman like, not date touched, around literally. like but you know you know that it's so instantly I was like I can't give off a wholly desirable life until I have I guess like a settled relationship and family and like home mm. and all of these things and I definitely internalize that and it's so it's the classic like Rihanna interview question being like asking her about her relationships Mm-hmm. And like, who's gonna be next? And then she's like, you know, says that thing about maybe I don't want a relationship or whatever. It is really great paraphrase for me. Um, <laughs> but it's like that type of thing where it's like, okay, who else who's like worth that much money? When you go to their actual business launch, are you being like to Elon Musk? Like, so who's the lucky girlie? <laughs> like, I know she's not on Elon Musk <laughs> or, like network wise, but it is like that type of thing. I think there's lots of different things I'm really proud of. Some shared online, some not shared online. I am incredibly proud of that funding round. I will use this as I always do to talk about the dire situation in women's funding. Women worldwide receive 2.8 percent of venture capital funding in the uk receive one percent of venture capital funding to give a translation to that that means that 99 percent of the money goes to men mm. which i think if it was happening in any other industry or in any other yeah. sphere pay situation whatever it might be there'd probably be more conversation about i think it's not widely known and not widely seen as a issue but when we go from there if men hire more men men promote more men men give better maternity pay and it worse (laughs) men give us maternity pay and like situate and like fear putting women in positions where they are at childbearing age all of these things then the issue is far deeper than just starting new companies Mm. despite the fact that women are shown to outperform men not that it's a competition but give us the money If Um, if it was and if you did give us more money we would be making you more money but that's entirely based on the fact that people do more of what they know works especially in any sort of crisis and there's always a sort of crisis where it's a recession like whatever it might be so when I say I'm really proud of that it sounds like I'm saying I'm really proud of that because again not like the other girls incorrect Mm. like it is such a dire situation and therefore I am proud of myself for beating the odds however if there is one thing that I can do with that that's actually effective it is to improve the odds by making sure I'm investing in women, by making sure I'm being generous with my network, all of these different things, but also making sure to hound every single investor I talk to, to about how the they're, yeah, how they're making sure that they are improving those statistics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Also, if that's the statistic for white women, so you can imagine what the statistic is for women of color, black women. Like it is dire. I think that there's so much to be done there, and I will shout that from the rooftops. As I'm sure everyone's heard if they've heard me speak before that I probably like get some new tricks, girly. Um, <laughs> Um, but that I am incredibly proud of that funding round. It was very much against the odds. It was right after COVID where people were even worse in terms of the investment. It went down and I'm incredibly proud of the way that I restructured and built the businesses in order not to rely on me because that was not easy and at every single point there were times where I was like, Who wants to see me back on YouTube? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, (laughs) is this actually going to fall apart? A bitch is back, yeah. Yeah. No, but 100%. And as I said, I'll tell the full story one day, but it's wild. I am also incredibly proud of my move in the past few years to move away from relying on my self-worth to come from both work and online validation, external validation in general. I think when you are the type of person who is already very motivated and ambitious you don't need extra help being like you need to work harder so that you like yourself more Mm. it's also you don't need to pile that on from external sources I already have that very much within myself so I probably don't need extra there but very proud of my move away from that generally and my move to create fulfillment in my life in areas other than my work but I do think it's incredibly important to say as I said like I instantly wanted to give you an answer that was Related to my personal life Soft rather and than my woman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soft feminine filled with babies. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I don't have any of those. Um <laughs> I'm proud of myself for that, but I also think very important to say that like I am very fulfilled by my work and in a world where we're going to have to work a lot, it's a huge privilege to enjoy that. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy every day. I will complain about it until the end of time. But I enjoy the type of life that I have built for myself and the type of work I have built for myself and I respect the fact that I decided to work in an office. I decided I wanted to work in an office environment with people and then built that for myself in order to be able to do that. It wasn't easy at all and I I really fucking respect killed myself it. for doing it. I
2: think you've fucking killed it. I have loved meeting you in person. I have loved picking your brain about everything. It is a marvellous brain, a brilliant brain. Thank and you. i weird to say, I'm fucking proud of you. I Thank think you're you. doing such a good job. Annabelle <laughs> next you. to me is also a huge fan and is yeah. nodding a lot. <laughs> Love
1: you. Thank you
0: so much. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with the energizing Grace Beverly. We'd love to send a huge, huge thank you once again to the team at Spotify UK. They let us use their studios to record this episode. And for that, we are very, very grateful. If you'd like to support us, well, of course, you know what to do. Hit follow on Spotify, Apple or wherever you get your podcasts or find us on Instagram at Podcast or TikTok at shameless underscore podcast. This was the final instalment of our Shameless Takes London series. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting these bonus episodes. We cannot wait to bring them back in the future wherever that may be and hopefully I'm on them this time. We will be back in your ears on Thursday. Bye.
2: Shameless Media.